All right, y'all know that on Outward, we cannot resist talking about the emerging and fraught genre of a validly gay (laughs) rom-com. And so, of course, we had to do a special Pride Month episode about Fire Island, the new Hulu movie from director Andrew Ahn and writer star Joel Kim Booster. If the title doesn't immediately conjure certain images and maybe anxieties for you, Fire Island is a thin barrier island off the coast of New York that has for decades been a storied summer retreat for queer people. It is mysterious and beautiful, and there are a lot of overly familiar deer wandering around for some reason. But it is also troubled by the sorts of class and race disparities that beset so many of our queer spaces. The film, which also stars Bowen Yang, Margaret Cho, and Conrad Ricamora, among others, attempts to address these issues through a very gay resetting of Pride and Prejudice. But does it succeed? We'll discuss all of that in spoiler-filled detail. So if you haven't seen Fire Island yet, you should probably go check it out on Hulu and then come back. We will still be here. Okay, Jules, you're going to lead us on our journey to Fire Island, but I think before we hop onto the Sayville Ferry, we should listen to a clip. Why would you conform to this community's toxic body standards? Whatever, I'm still invisible to most of these people. What does that make me? No fast, no fans, no Asians, no overwoo. You still two out of the three. Bitchy, yes, but not wrong. In our community, money isn't the only form of currency. Race, masculinity, abs. Just a few of the metrics we use to separate ourselves into upper and lower classes. Of course, I don't care about all that shit, but what can I say? I'm a class trader. So we arrive on on our titular Fire Island. And, you know, this this film is obviously a retelling of Pride and Prejudice. So, you know, for everyone who who loves that story, it kind of, you know, structures the plot and the arc of the film. But I think maybe an interesting place to, to start talking about it is about, you know, two places I certainly latched on. And, and it was not just about this being a gay retelling, which, you know, how much gayer do you have to make Jane Austen to be? <laughs> Anyways, um, but you know, right. there, there's there's this kind of feeling that you get, I think right from the beginning that you get, you know, between the interplay between Joel Kim Booster and, and Bone Yang's characters, um, Noah and Howie, um, but also in general about seeing this kind of mostly Black and Asian gay group going to Fire Island and feeling incredibly self-conscious, but committed to it. And also this sort of class story that is about, I think, you know, this very millennial uh, kind of version of of queer life where you're like living in Brooklyn maybe and uh, can't really afford anything. Uh, And certainly in many ways are sort of shut out of Fire Island. And so in the film, they're only there because of course, Margaret Cho is their wonderful lesbian auntie or mother. For me, like that was something I feel like, like if I was going to go back and rewatch the film again, I would want to just sit with like the feeling of those mm-hmm. opening scenes, like the visuality of it, the, the, the banter, the insecurity, the, the interesting forms of pride and other feelings, but I, I don't know. Is that something pride about and prejudice? You? You might <laughs> pride and prejudice. One might say. I'm just <laughs> curious what your reactions were to that kind of like tonal setting, because here we are finding ourselves in a place that you know maybe some of us have actually been, maybe mm. some of us actually relate to more than we literally relate to Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice. Yeah, you explained it well. Where I think there's a mix of anticipation and excitement and ambivalence that Mm. I very much relate to when 
entering, you know, a storied gay enclave. For these characters, in part, it's because, you know, they're expecting to encounter sort of a white, rich, skinny, yet muscular, gay, monolithic culture. Mm-hmm. And for me, it's more that, like, these places are built for gay men. Um, and so while I expect to feel somewhat at home, there's always the part of me that feels like, well, you know, I might not fully feel like this place is made for me, but it's certainly better than the alternative, which would be a straight, rich, white enclave. There were parts of the character backstories that I doubted a little bit. For example, <laughs> Joel Kim Booster's character, Noah, is a nurse and the average salary for a nurse in New York is almost $100,000. I don't feel like that's poor. I know it's expensive to live in New York, but I feel like the way they tried to make this friend group out to be like really scrimping and not able to afford a vacation on Fire Island if they didn't have this house owned by uh, Margaret Cho's character and, you know, so out of place at these parties with all these richer gays, like it just, it, it doesn't seem to me like, a nurse he's not like a starving artist you know so I feel like right from the very beginning I felt like they were trying to make something happen without the evidence to back it up well (laughs) on the other hand though fire it's like ridiculously expensive to go out there like if they wanted to do this like struggling millennial the, the thing that you said Jules like sort of uh version of the story and have them not be super wealthy gays they had to invent some way for them to get out there financially. Mm. And so, and so this, this like magical house that Margaret Cho's character has, because I think she like faked some glass in her food or something at like a restaurant yeah. once, <laughs> wasn't that the story? Um, and won like a lawsuit of some sort. Uh, it was great. It is so wildly expensive to have a share on fire. A share is what you call it when you rent it for like a certain number of weekends per summer, a house out there. Um, it is so insanely expensive that, people who make a hundred thousand dollars or whatever can't necessarily afford it. Or that would like be like all of your like summer money potentially. And so it's, there is an odd tension at the beginning of the movie. Just if, if you know like what fire Island is actually like and sort of the economics of it, um, of like how, how this would even happen. But I, I kind of had to just like let that go because it's a, it, it's a rom-com and it gets to have its magical, sort of surrealist elements too, I think. I, I, I became more tolerant of that as it like went on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, so I famously have never been to Fire Island despite living in New York for a while. Mm. Um, and that's probably one of the reasons why. Um, but I also famously, you know, lived a life as 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 a gay boy for a while. Mm. Um, and, you know, my friend group, uh, you know, had this sort of tradition that we called queer summer camp where we would go to upstate New York, which mm-hmm. is the much, 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 much cheaper version of that. Yeah. That doesn't, in, you know, include any beaches. Um, but in any case, you know, one of the things that I immediately kind of felt like hooked by and and it, it is something that I think the film kind of drills into is on the one hand right the idea of a gay island or just of like gay the gay world gay spaces away from the rest of the world has always been about something that is really kind of powerful when you experience it which is mm-hmm. like oh my god there's no straight people here like oh thank <laughs> god right and actually even though as Noah's character reflects that meant something different, say in the 1970s, than it does in you know in, in this 21st century. It still means something, right? And then, but that get kinds that kind of gets like 
Russian doll nested several more times where you see Mm. like, well, it could feel really powerful, you know, to be in a Black and Asian gay space where, you know, you can really let your hair down and you can femme it up in ways that are culturally specific. And, Mm -hmm. you know, at the same time, there is this kind of feeling of like trying to take a break from precarity, which I always associated like my queer summer camps with, which was like, we were pooling all our money and, you know, we would like go to the you know, the like discount liquor store in Hudson, New York, and like buy huge handles of liquor that we couldn't afford, or like, you know, hypothetically pool money for really good Molly or other things, not that I would know. Um, And it's like, you know, there's also this kind of feeling that I think that the film sort of embodies in its kind of like aesthetics of cheap rosé and like, you know, trying to get invited to richer people's parties, which is like, if you can just take a fucking break from the grind and the grind could be about money and living in New York, but the grind could also be about trying to make out of the gay life, something like viable when you're mm. black or Asian, you know, or a femme, right. Or just like, you know, attractive, but not like at the top of, of that hierarchy or whatever. And I think there's something just sort of like compelling to me about that, even if it's like a really hard premise to like do that much with just because in real life it's incredibly annoying and there aren't really <laughs> moments of catharsis. And so maybe it's yeah. like within that context that I find the 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 ROM of the com really <laughs> interesting. Right? And so we get to this sort of, you know, sort of philosophical uh, debate, you know, between our Noah, Joel Kim Booster, and our Howie, Bo and Yang, between the like, you know, non-monog, no boyfriends, you know, hot, sexy life of Noah and the like painfully sincere, self-deprecating, like depression queen um, (laughs) of Howie, who's just like, uh, you know, and so it, it sort of shows up as Noah shows up on the island being like, I'm ready to fuck, but I actually am really altruistic and a good friend. And I want to make sure Howie also gets laid. And that becomes this sort of like, you know, structuring conflict. And like, you know, again, I feel like part of the pleasure of the comedy of manners or the comedy of like bad manners or gay manners is like, maybe like in real life, none of us feel like anyone is that archetypal, but like, I don't know. I'm just like, did that sort of staging of the conflict, like, how did it feel to you? Like, I mean, it's kind of an old idea, right? Like it is as old as Jade Austen in a certain sense, but I feel like it's also this trope in gay media that there is like some fundamental divide between people who are like happy with the promise of like gay life being, you know, unrestricted by straight convention or romantic convention, but, and and the opposite implication. I mean, I'm sort of curious where you think this film kind of stacks up in that tradition of gay media. I actually found both of those characters and the and the sort of positions about about uh, sex and love that they represented to be pretty convincing and actually like relatable. They didn't feel cardboardy to me at all. Um, I feel like I've known <laughs> both of those types of, of gay guys uh, in my in my time, and I thought the <clears throat> the interaction between them was was pretty effective. The sort of the only big point of trouble I have with this movie is that I found Joel Kim Booster's uh, Noah so obnoxious and like unlikable that it made me like not like like I almost like didn't want to finish the film at moments because he just seemed so so kind of cruel in certain ways and especially and this is sort of explored later in the movie like 
thinking that his friend Bo and Yang's character has the same kind of um, ability to get laid in the way that he wants to, that has the same kind of sexual um, capital, I guess I should say. Um, and they have a they have a confrontation about this um, at a certain point where Bo and Yang says, "Like you got to stop pretending that I'm that I'm the same as you." There are plenty of other guys. On for the- you, for you too. No, stop it. Stop talking about this like we're the same. But we are. You and me, fuck the rest. No, stop. You want to feel so good so badly that you did all this. And now you want me to feel good too because you, I don't know, you feel guilty? I don't really give a shit, but stop pretending like you don't understand how the world works. That is the tension of the movie, but but like Joel Kim Booster's character did such a good job of embodying that kind of clueless guy uh, and and privileged in a certain way, like within you know a whole whole complex hierarchy of, of privilege in the movie that I I began to like hate him personally, <laughs> which doesn't make sense, but uh, that's how I felt. <laughs> I didn't hate him, although I did think the conflict seemed a little bit contrived. Like why, mm. why would Noah not allow himself to hook up before how he did? Um, yeah, and yeah. the idea of being invested in hooking up as kind of a sport or an achievement unto itself or this necessary rite of passage is obviously a well-trodden idea in straight movies. I'm thinking mm-hmm. of you know, teen sex comedies where people are trying to lose their virginity before they go to college right. or something like that. But you don't often see that happen in movies about people in their 30s. And so I wonder if that could have happened in a straight movie, because uh, I don't think there are a lot of even movies about straight male friends that are like, dude, you gotta, you know, hook up. Why aren't you hooking up enough? It, it feels like, uh, straight movies about people in their 30s are often more about making a life happen. And I thought it was interesting that this one sort of gave equal moral weight to both sorts of visions of sex and relationships. Like neither one was right. You know, the guy who wants a relationship and the guy who wants to party and is afraid of feeling vulnerable, you know, maybe they both have some things to unpack it looked a little deeper into why these two people ended up with those relationships to sex and love, where they both came from a space of feeling unhot and unwanted in part because of racism. And so it does talk about or show a little bit how being subjected to this specific kind of anti-Asian racism can make you, can fuck you up. Even when you come into political consciousness, you can't change the way it has made you feel unhot and unwanted and you can't change the way people still treat you. And so I feel like it's advocating for a little bit of what I have come to think of as intuitive hooking up, like intuitive eating, where it's like, you know, instead of imbuing food with all this meaning and there's good food and there's bad foods, just eat when you're hungry and stop when you're full. So this movie, (laughs) they like hook up when you want to, don't when you don't want to, and just like follow your heart and your dick. Which, you know, (laughs) is kind of one famously hard to do because yeah. the, the two seem less coordinated than than ever when they're you know vying for control but also like you know that's the thing about desire and pleasure right is that on the one hand the world structures it you know with real consequences depending on 
you know, what situations you find yourself in, but like as a principal pleasure is like, oh honey, I don't have a limit, right? And that's like really <laughs> scary. Uh, yeah. I really appreciate, you know, Joel Kim Booster's portrayal of Noah because the the harshness or the hardness, the, the, the bite, you know, the almost arrogant defensiveness of that character's mm. sort of quick wit with other people, I, I really read as like, I actually, I I really read it very tenderly. Um, and, you know, maybe mm. I was overly identifying with parts of it, but it just felt very much like, you know, sort of the impossible dilemma of, you know, of trying to make Asian American gay subjectivity like work in the world. That's a really academic way of putting it. A less academic way of putting it would be, you know, the film then pairs Noah, you know, in this sort of push-pull magnet situation with Conrad Ricamora's character, Will, who is a really different, <laughs> I mean, I, and I'll, so, so, so Will was the character for me where I kept being like, okay, I know this is literally a character and this person is acting, but I really <laughs> have to check the emotional responses I'm yeah. having to this person's like grumpy, mm-hmm. inexpressive, uh, um, mm-hmm. kind of like, you know, I was like, oh God, those gay men. Um, but, you know, but then, I, you know, I, 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 I want to be charitable um, because again, it's a movie, um, but I also <laughs> want to be charitable in the sense that the, the film itself, right, is like pairing Noah and Will in a certain way. And so, yeah, I mean, I was trying to think of how to describe, like, Will is very standoffish, very wooden um, in so many ways. And, you know, it's Boring. like, I, I think about this all the time where, you know, this is this is like a tale as old as time as a cleavage in the in the gay world, right? Between like the queens and the femmes and the gays who are able to live more or less as men in their everyday lives. And then when you yeah. put all of those people in a gay space, it, I, I really feel like it heightens the contradiction, right? Well, or it heightens yeah. the tension. They say yeah. about Will, you know, he went to this fancy rich prep school. That's why his voice is so deep. Yeah. Yes. No, yeah. but it's, that's beautiful, right? Yeah, like, you almost needed only everything. that line to describe to characterize who he him. Is. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, what did you think then about the kind, you know, and then that's where like the Jane Austen of it all does something, <laughs> right? Where it's like, okay, whether or not we really think someone like Noah and someone like Will would even just circle each other, right? Because it's not, it's not like they, you know, get married at the end of the film. Thank God it is a gay movie. But like, yeah, I'm just sort of, you know, how did that, what did that interplay do for you? Because in many ways they're opposites, right? Um, and it's very unclear that they would even like one another, right? I mean, I say that on purpose, right? They might be attracted to one another, but I think that's one of the things that the kind of like the economy of like Fire Island as it's shown to us in the film actually does like a really good job of saying like attraction and liking someone do not necessarily always go together. And like Mm -hmm. one of the lies Mm -hmm. of heterosexual romance culture that naturalizes a lot of mistreatment and abuse and just like shitty behavior is the idea that like, oh, if I'm attracted to you, then I like you. And it's like, oh no, I actually think like one thing like where people are good at is knowing that that's not always true. I mean, we don't always have that wisdom, right? But but I, but I kind of feel like the film is 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 opening that door a little bit. I don't know, did that, so what what did you think of the the Noah and Will of it? Will they, won't they, et cetera of it all? I thought it made a lot out of, not much. It wasn't clear to me why they initially hated each other. Near the beginning, Noah overhears Will saying about him, you know, he's not hot enough to be so annoying, which is basically the only sassy thing that Will says in the entire film. And I'm not sure he ever explains 
what he meant or why he said that. Obviously, that's a reason for Noah not to like him. But I felt like I didn't quite believe that they were super attracted to each other or that they super hated each other because Mm. why does it matter? You know, they can just avoid each other. And then toward the end, once they sort of reconcile and come to open about their feelings for one another or whatever, Will sort of says, oh, I don't do well at parties. And Noah sort of laughs and accepts that and then goes to the party. And I wasn't sure whether that was, maybe there was a part of Noah who also doesn't want to go to parties all the time. And maybe maybe that's part of what he was attracted to with Will. Like he was sort of disillusioned by this whole um, homogenous gay scene. But also if if one of you likes parties and the other doesn't, and you live across the country from each other because, mm-hmm. you know, Will is from LA, and you, your demeanors are so completely opposing. I'm not really sure what's attracting you to each other. I guess Noah thinks it's cute when Will is a bad dancer, um, <laughs> you know, and, and agrees. It was to legitimately dance at this very cute. Show, yeah, it was yeah. cute. It was super cute. That was cute. Um, it wasn't exactly clear to me what Noah wanted or how yeah. his attraction to Will like changed or was already present in his pattern of attractions. They are the both caretakers in their way like of their friend groups and I that, that's where I kind of saw them po- possibly seeing something sort of real in each other beneath the, the sort of surface personality stuff I think they they both are kind of fiercely and I think even in that that first sort of set of interactions over the the party scene in the, in the house that Will is staying in you kind of see that both of them are like trying to protect their friends and like mm. take care of their friends and that that comes into conflict uh but but they they're both kind of like dads like in, huh. in that way or something mm. <laughs> something maybe moms or something like that there's a subplot about like a, a like a hot instagrammy guy who comes yes. and um films another one of the crew having sex with him and puts it up on his only fans without permission mm-hmm. and that's a moment where we see uh noah and will act in this way of like of like protectors defenders like we want like justice seeking almost um and and where they kind of i I think really begin to like appreciate each other a little bit Mm. more um yeah yeah well i just i I think that's i really appreciate that because i think one of the things maybe that makes this a gayer (laughs) or queerer you know and and the difference between like what jane austen did in her medium and her time and her genre and now like okay that's absurd to even try and bridge the gap but like you know one of the points is that it uses the plots of romance and the comedy of romance but the ending is not like and now like you know Howie and Charlie are not like going to go get married it's like Mm. very it's like okay well like you live like I don't know you just like avoided partying on bad terms so that you could then continue to be in one another's lives which I feel like was like actually just very nice to see like you know that's (laughs) like actually like a pretty healthy way to be romantic um actually it's a very both of the couples ended in that way both of the couples that come together at the end live across the country from each other and so it's you know nobody knows least of all them what their future will hold but they're just sort of like yeah we enjoy each other let's have another couple days at the beach together Mm -hmm. right and it's like the thing that like you know a lot of maybe many of us have learned in Brooklyn queer community which is called like good boundaries right um (laughs) but but I think then what the film you know it doesn't just deflate that ideal it suggests that family like the families that queer people make are 
just as, or frankly, probably more important just in a practical, obvious way. And especially if you're also not as rich or not as white as people who can basically buy an equivalent version to successful kind of hetero life, but Mm -hmm. with more pleasure because it's gay or whatever. And so it seems like, yeah, like both Noah and Will play a little bit of that role in their group. Um, But I also wanted to then talk about Margaret Cho Mm -hmm. as Aaron, you know, cards on the table. I'm like also very famously in quarantine after being exposed to COVID this week. So I've been like feeling very alone. And I watched this movie one night and I was like, I miss my queer friends. I haven't gone on a trip like this in so long. I haven't just like been in a room with all of them in this without thinking about like viral, you know, viral particles. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I just miss that kind of like letting your hair down yeah. and feeling like the relief of not having to like be a sovereign self and just like being a like, you know, us like a kid. Like I often mm-hmm. feel like a like we're all siblings when I'm with my I mean different than than I feel with my literal sibling, but like you know, there's something really powerful. And I think really soothing about that, that I know I really miss like this many years into a socially distant pandemic. And then like, you know, one of my reactions, I mean, of course, and then the other card for me is like, oh, I used to be one of those boys, but now I'm more of a Margaret Cho type. Uh, Mm. (laughs) Do I even dare make that comparison? (laughs) But like, and I'm not, you know, I don't have as many, I don't have, I'm not as much a card carrying lesbian either, but like, But, you know, one of the things I thought about, you know, when I was watching the movie, just at the level of pure fantasy, I was was like, wow, if I ever get rich, like, I want to buy a house and have my boys come be my, like, kids and just take (laughs) care of them. And, like, I, like, love doing that. I love, like, making dinner and pouring wine for the boys, watching them go off and then be like, okay, like, whichever ones of you are coming home at, like, one or two, like, I'll be here to greet you. And then in the morning, make Aww. the rescue breakfast when you come home. Oh my like, God, it, after hooking up. sounds great to be your friend. It really does. <laughs> and I'm amazing. This is just, like, stealth advertising yeah. for tools. Uh, but, but, you know, like, there is something about that. And it's not... The, it, but it's not it's not just a romantic family because the family is teetering on the brink of collapse. So the, right. one of the other, you know, plot points of the film is that Margaret shows bad with money. Um, and so like she's basically broke and this could be this is it. This is our last summer. And, you know, as far as I know, as far as I could tell, that doesn't like get resolved for a happy ending mm-hmm. in the film. Mm-hmm. And so there was something about this. It was never about the house at all. It was about. <laughs> the friends right. along the way. Yeah, right. totally. <laughs> but yes and no, right? Because then yeah. part of me was just like, oh my God, but isn't what happens in your 30s is like people move all over the country for work. Like the precarity of our lives start to interrupt these like friend groups we form totally. in one class position in our 20s, right? Like, I don't know, this is like was what has happened to me that's been accelerated by COVID where I'm like, now I live only a few hours away from a lot of my friends, but I don't see them as much. I'm not right. as glued to them. And like, that feels really disorienting to me as if I had lost, you know, the house that we all lived in, even though we didn't mm. have a house, um, should have had a frivolous <laughs> lawsuit. But yeah, so yeah. I, you know, it's June and, you know, how many times are going to hear the phrase queer family this month? But like, <laughs> but actually I think this film like did something with that by not really like telling us too much about it, but more just showing us over and over again. Right. I think here too, about the really beautiful performance of, Tomas Matos and Matt Rogers as Mm. Keegan and Luke is the sort of like, you know, they are the femme comedy duo, but they're actually like 
real people and they're doing yeah. something yeah. that's kind of choreographed, right? Like they're, they're, they're kind of like their bodies are always in shots hanging around moving. You'll see limbs or torsos and they're really affectionate and touching each yeah. other in this like really beautiful sisterly like kind of way. And it's just like, it was showing me like queer family of a certain, you know, of one certain variety. Right. I mean, mm. it's like all boys except for Margaret, but yeah. So, so what about this kind of, family. I didn't feel it as much as I saw it, if that makes sense. Yeah. I think it, it's oh, because yeah. I just am not part of this world. If I went on a vacation with all my friends, we wouldn't spend the whole time trying to like meet other people and hook up with other people and like not be together. It felt like there was just a lot of all of them trying to sleep with other people and not as much you know, appreciating each other's company. Yeah. Which is a certain kind of friend vacation, but not one that I'm super familiar with. And I found it slightly unbelievable that a cis lesbian would have only gay male friends on Fire Island. Um, There was like a little bit of an explanation, like she's alienated herself from the lesbian community because she mistreated somebody or I forget exactly what she did. The only other like lesbian they see is like, a crotchety, angry woman who's both yeah. in steel. Um, so it felt a little bit like we're taking a vacation from um, women also, in addition to, sure. like, except for our mm-hmm. mom, who, again, the the existence of whom I highly doubt, or at least I've never met somebody like that. I agree that the two, like, femme characters who love each other and hold each other and are sort of, like, the a little bit more the... Um, crazy partiers of the bunch like they bring cheese into the hot tub which I thought was like, an adorable <laughs> yeah. detail Beautiful. I thought they were very wonderfully realized mm-hmm. um, and I felt their sort of love for each other and when Noah goes to defend Luke from the scammer yeah. who again one of the other like quick details in this film that I think did a lot to embed it in real gay life was like Mm. they quickly scroll through his Instagram and show him holding like a Black Lives Matter sign in front of his dick Mm -hmm. and like a shirtless picture like the gay Instagram was so wonderfully seen that I shown. yeah what did you think Brian I experienced this the, the sort of family aspect in a few ways I thought that I mean, I had moments of, of of yearning, just like you did, Jules, for for missing this kind of thing. I I would never do it in Fire Island. I think Fire Island is I I just don't like it. I think you can't escape the sort of fascism of it, honestly. Oh, uh, wow. And like, so I I, I would not go there. Um, is it really like this, that? At is this it point really in my like life, yes. Uh, well, yes. well, no. So 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 what I was going to say was that there are. There are two Fire Islands on display in this movie, and I think mm-hmm. there's a, and, and Christina, you made me think of this because you were sort of saying it was it would be weird to go with your friends and then spend all of your time with your energy directed outward at at all of these other people. My experience of Fire Island, I've only been I think twice in my life, and it's been years and years since I since since those times. I went once and had this kind of experience, like the the like small group house in Cherry Grove, which is a different, we haven't really talked mm-hmm. about this, but this movie takes place in the Pines, mostly. Mm-hmm. Cher- and that's the one that's like rich, white, mm. um, and fascist. The other one, Cherry Grove, is has historically been more of a lesbian community and, and sort of just everyone else that like doesn't fit that Pines type. And so I've done the house thing in Cherry Grove when I was very young in my 20s in this crazy house called the house of orange that had all these like Greek statues with giant dicks and just like, like fantastic <laughs> gay 
place with like a really interesting group of people. And we like stayed together in the house and had like our queer little week there. And so that's, that is possible. People will call in and disagree with me about this, but I think that's like less the Pines vibe. Mm. The Pines vibe Mm -hmm. in my experience Mm -hmm. is much more, yes, you're in a house, but everyone is always running off to, to fuck and party and, you know, on drugs and like whatever. And in this movie, they like mash those two fire islands together in a way that did not feel authentic or or, like did not feel like something I have heard about or perceived, but I can understand narratively why that was like a valuable thing to do. But yeah, I mean, you know, Jules, you mentioned like going upstate, the the house, even the Margaret Trace house that they were staying in looked like an upstate house to me. It didn't look like a house. It's, yeah, it's two different versions of what queer family can look like in Fire Island were put together here. I mean, I love this. And, and I guess it makes me think about maybe one other way to, to kind of get at this movie and, and maybe wrap up our thoughts a little bit, which is like, you know, I think one of the gay arts, one that has changed a lot over time, especially in this era where there is a lot of explicitly gay representation is that, you know, one thing that marks your sort of understanding or relationship to mass culture is the ability to play with genre, right? Mm-hmm. Like that has mm-hmm. been one function of camp. But like I was listening right. to some interviews with some of the cast members from this film and they were just talking about all of the different references and like, you know, I mean, this is like lost culture resource brand, you know, filmmaking. It's really wonderful and enjoyable. There is like a legendary scene, you know, about someone not knowing Marissa Tomei, you yeah. know, it's like <laughs> this thing that gay people actually do, but you actually often start doing, you know, before you have gay community. And then part of the joy of being around other queer people is you get to do it with them. But it, it raises this really interesting question now, because for, for you know, a really long time, people had to do that because in fact, they could not make movies like Fire Island, Mm. right? And you actually had to be a gifted and talented reader and interpreter and ventriloquist of mass culture in order to satirize and make it your own. And also in some cases to just, let's be real, do a better than Mm. anybody else, okay? But I think one of the interesting questions that I have, that's an open question. I'm not even sure I want an answer, but let me put it to you both is like, okay, here we are in this era now where gay people, not even just gay people. Okay. Like smart ass, funny, you know, gay men of color can get together and make a movie that is self-conscious about its genre-ness, right? You can remake Pride and Prejudice, but it's, but I think the bait and switch for me, right. Is that like the, the corporate, like, hello, it's, pride month everyone is lives are being ruined but disney corporation loves you like the lie there right is that what's exciting about a gay remake of pride and prejudice is the content of it being gay no it's not because the original one is gay too that's not the point the difference to me is it's gay people and in this case asian and black gay people taking yeah. on the genre and saying, we're going to play with the genre. But then it brings up this real question, right? Where it's like, well, it's one thing to use genre as a strategy in everyday life to make fun of the world. But then it's like, do you really want your life to feel like a rom-com, right? Mm. And I feel like I'm I'm being a little, I'm going to make a bold declaration. (laughs) Yes. My understanding of heterosexuality, such as it is, is that like heterosexuality, sexual people might actually be liable to reply yes to that question. Oh yeah, no, I really, I mean, all I know is what I see on Love is Blind or The Ultimatum, but I see 
straight people being over and over again, like, <laughs> well, you know, this guy reminds me of my dad and that's cool. Yeah. So like, I want to yeah. get married in this way. That's really generic because then I'll know that I'm married. And then I want to wake up to someone and say, you're my husband. Right. And I'm like, okay, I'm not sure that queer people <laughs> like know the answer to that question. So definitively, like, do you really want your life to be a genre? Like, do you want it to be formal in that way? There's a pleasure. We play with it. We distort yeah. it. We make it, you know, we harness it to our own end sometimes, but it can also get away from you. Form is alienating. Genre is impersonal. And so it can be desirable, but can also be really disappointing or frustrating. And I guess I feel like part of what I just like really appreciate about this movie is that it just dared to go there and be yeah. like, okay, if any of us were to go to Fire Island this summer, you know, I feel like I would be thinking about like, okay, well, one, is it just going to be drama? Because like, I too have a hard time in spaces that are mostly dominated by like gay men or whatever. Mm. Would I also have trouble with it because I would be like, this is going to be like a comedy of men, you know, like what, (laughs) you know, that kind of relationship between genre and like everyday life that I feel like we have these like special gay powers to play with culture in that way. But then it brings up this bigger question about like, how much do you want to thread the needle of your own life through like plot, right? Like in real life, because I think we're attached to culture in part because sometimes like I know, like I grew up loving melodrama because I was a dissociated, depressed child. And I was like, well, these people on TV are having feelings and feelings are advancing the plot. I legitimately wanted my life to become a melodrama because it was the only way I could imagine having a fucking feeling, right? And I'm so glad now that I have feelings that my life is not a melodrama because like, <laughs> honey, I don't get paid enough to be on a melodrama, right? <laughs> but but I think there is a sort of deeper question here about like how queer people make culture um, and especially how gay men make culture, right? Uh, and, and, and whether or not like in this era of like Hulu presents Fire Island, Like, you know, I I don't know. I I kind of lost the question in in belaboring it a little, but I just kind of wanted to like (laughs) serve it up and see if it it does anything. One thing that that question of genre made me think of is the the related question of audience. Mm. Who does Hulu think is going to watch this movie? Who who do they hope will watch this movie? The answer is probably everyone. They want everyone to watch it obviously, but know that not everyone will. But the points of the movie that felt most alienating to me were not even necessarily the ones that diverged from my own personal experience, but the ones that felt overly didactic, like when they take a break from the plot to be like, here's what a tea dance is. Um, Mm. And here's what, you know, ketamine does to your body. It felt like we needed to have a little footnote for all the people who aren't familiar with gay life to understand what was happening yeah. in the film. It felt a little bit less family oriented. And I mean that in terms of queer family when those little breaks came in. And I wonder if that was part of the major studioness of it all. And I think that's also what put it in a different genre for me from other like new queer cinema or something like that. This, this need to sort of make it understandable and a little bit palatable maybe, although it really did go there for, for a street or a mass audience. Yeah. I think we can all agree that it is very exciting to get to see this group of artists and creators make this thing and like get yeah. to get to, yeah. to get to play with this genre or mix of genres, whatever it is. 
So it, it, it's worth watching just for that. And, and, and that Joel Schumacher got to write and star in it. Yeah, yeah no, cool. I mean, it, it's yeah. like, it is absolutely worth, worth engaging with and, and praising for that. I felt like the ending was a moment where genre intruded in a way that that I didn't love. And mm. by the ending, I mean, Bo and Yang leaves, his character leaves Fire Island after sort of deciding that this, this relationship that he had been pursuing isn't gonna, isn't gonna work. And then comes back and there's this kind of strange like dance on the dock that felt <laughs> very like dropped in. Also to me, Christina from like a studio place, it was like, it, like I thought it would have been much more realistic for him to just leave. Because like this guy, for one thing, this guy that he's after is such a like piece of bread. It's like why, like why? <laughs> but like whatever. Put that aside. Like he would. And he already changed that. his flight. It's like yeah. if you're so poor, how are you going to be changing your flight back and forth all the time? That's yeah, expensive. I, I don't think he would have come back and 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 there and the, and there's just like this dance thing, and then these these older this older gay couple is used kind of as like a little bit mm-hmm. of like a marriage image. I, I felt mm-hmm. like I mean it's different, not exactly, but like it, but it had tones of that of like oh actually what we all want is like to couple up and be together so but i i don't think that that felt of a piece with the rest or much of the rest of the movie for me um and it did feel kind of like a weird intervention from somewhere else so you know who knows maybe maybe that's what they wanted all along or maybe a studio screening like at a, at a screening an executive said they needed to make it sort of happy but you know i, I think we should probably wrap up our conversation now but um However, it ended up. I think it was worth being being able to be in this space with these with these characters for the amount of time that we got. It was was refreshing. I mean, it really it really was. And I'm not a rom com lover, but I, but I was very as I've reflected on this since seeing it. I think I was just very taken with it, and it's very exciting to at least, as you said, Jules, see see these people get to play and get dirty and make something. Um, is kind of where I've where I've ended up. Yeah, and you know, as Jane Austen famously said about gay people, just kidding, I don't <laughs> what she said about gay people. No, you know, I think it's such a watchable film. It's exciting. It, it just also helped it feel like hey, it's summer, you know, yeah, despite yeah. whatever the fuck is going on in the world. So, you know, encourage everyone to go out and, and watch Fire Island or watch it on streaming, however it comes to you. Um, and thanks, Brian and Christina, for taking some time out to, to have a little extra special conversation. This is one of our uh, little nuggets coming mm-hmm. to you all <laughs> this month for Pride. We will have our regular main feed show as well, but mm-hmm. um, I'm so glad we got to do this. So yeah, thanks for talking too. about uh, genre and little cute islands with me. <laughs> sure. <laughs>